0: Some people like fantasy stories and will spend, I don't know, about $1.7 billion at the box office the past few weeks to see Avatar fantasy stories. Others like sad stories. We can all think of a favorite bedtime story. It's often said of us human beings that we are a storytelling race. The call of the story, the prehistoric campfire where stories were acted out. Huge industries today have been built up just around celebrity stories. Or how about sports? The news scores results the stories we remember from our own athletic exploits, however scanty they may be in my case. Stories, stories, stories. Stock stories. Yep, every stock tells a story. As investors, we get to know our company's mission, maybe know their marketing tagline. That's a story. We follow the share price. We experience highs and lows, sometimes dizzying highs or cavernous lows, sometimes both. Our experience as investors gives us the long view, the foolish with a capital F view, acquaints us with great prosperity-creating stories, especially Look across a portfolio, look up and down your brokerage statement and I bet you see stories. Well, for the seventh time in this podcast history this week we focus on telling stories. We're a stock market podcast, so these are stock stories. Visiting me around the campfire this week are four other talented Motley Fool contributors each of whom has a story to tell. Me too. So five stock stories to make you smarter, happier, and richer, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing.
1: It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner.
0: Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We're getting our story on. I'm really looking forward to this. I have four of my friends from The Motley Fool coming in to share their stories. I'll throw in one myself that makes five stock stories for this volume seven Of our Stock Stories Episodic Series. Anybody who's spent any time with this podcast knows that I love Episodic Series. And over our eight years in the podcast biz, we've built up more than two dozen recurring series. Stock Stories is, of course, one of those. We do this one typically about once a year. So this is a little bit special for us to be talking this week to you, sharing Stock Stories. Now, before we get started, I want to mention the opposite Of stock stories, at least the linguistic inversion, and that would be story stocks. Now, I think a lot of people recognize that story stocks can be good or bad. Story stocks are the ones where you don't necessarily check the numbers, you don't necessarily hold near term results or any real feet to the fire. There's not necessarily a lot of accountability on your part in terms of management or where they are today with the company because, well, there's a story there. And you're driven to invest perhaps by the story you see in that stock. Now, I think that can cut both ways. That can get you sometimes over the hump with your eyes closed because the valuation might just look too high. And you're like, I'm going to buy it anyway, though, because I like the story. And so that can help. It can also hinder. Sometimes we buy stocks that are just stories. Maybe they sounded good for a little while, but it turns out as you turn the page, there isn't a lot left to that story. Maybe not much behind it. So the phrase story stock for me has a neutral connotation, but let's now invert those words once again, because I like stock stories. Having invested for a few decades, perhaps you have too, or even if it's just for a few years, you probably already have a few of the classic types of story yourself like maybe the the one that got away story or the the big fish that you're bragging about that you caught story or any one of many other types of stories Joseph Campbell's hero's journey maybe patterned templated stories that we recognize that we recognize and maybe as investors start to see some of our own stocks within those stories but in particular this week I've asked my friends and fellow analysts here at the fool to tell the story of the stocks. They're not just going to be talking about the company, although they will be because, well, we love business-focused investing at The Motley Fool. But in particular, I've asked each of them to identify where the stock was at a few different points. Include the stock in their story. So if we do our job this week, we'll be making you smarter, happier, and richer. You will be enriched by these stories. Now, as we get prepared here, I do have an exciting announcement. Due to the growth of this podcast over the years, as explained last time, we can now afford more sound effects than we could in past years. And so my talented producer, Rick, will be bringing some sound to the stories that you hear. Now, we're going to keep it simple and augment over time. Rick, I'm going to ask you to to cue up the single sound effect to start story number one. All right, that helps me start to get in the mood here as I welcome my
2: friend, Rick Munares. Thank you. It's great to be here. Happy 2023. And may it be better for investors than 2022, at least most investors like myself.
0: And me as well, Rick. And I mean, how could it not be, right? I, I can't think of many worse market years uh, to live through. But enough about 2022. Rick,
2: do you have a stock story for us? Yes, I do. I have a story, I have a stock, I have a story stock, or a stack story, I have it all. Um, and I'm calling this, You Dropped Out of Harvard for This. Excellent. Well,
0: I already like your title, Rick. I do want to remind our listeners right up front this episode that our model for stories, stories should A, matter. I hope you've got that for me, Rick. They should be entertaining. They should be didactic. And the fourth attribute I like is is if they're memorable. And Rick, can you give me at least a 3 out of 4?
2: I can. I can at least try. Uh, it's 2023 New Year's resolution. Let's go for it. Let's go for 4 out of 4 maybe. We'll see. I like it. 4 out of 4. All right, you go, Rick. Once upon a time, 1636 to be precise, the college that would eventually become Harvard University was founded. Now, Harvard is a pretty prestigious institution. It's a long list of historically relevant graduates, but it's also well-known for its dropouts that would go on to become tech billionaires. Bill Gates dropped out to start Microsoft. If you saw the social network, you know that Mark Zuckerberg launched Facebook or the Facebook initially, if you will, on the Cambridge campus. However, you don't hear enough about Bomb Kim. So let's go there. Kim was born in South Korea. He moved to the US when he was seven. Smart guy, goes to Harvard, uh, does his undergraduate work. Six months into the MBA program, he drops out. So he has some entrepreneurial interest in magazine publishing, does some work for Boston Consulting Group. But in 2020, I'm sorry, 2010, he sees Groupon exploding in the U.S., and it all comes together for him. He's going to start a Groupon-like service as a limited liability company in the U.S. so he can raise funding here, but headquarters in South, South Korea, so to do business there, to enter into the flash sale market that was booming at the time. He calls it, and Groupon IP lawyers, please pay attention, Coupang ticker symbol CPNG. So that is the birth of Coupang, a company that's been trading for a couple of years now. Uh, but that is our story where it starts uh, it, it, with a Harvard dropout, uh, not with the same kind of fanfare as we had with Gates or Zuckerberg. But the story gets better.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, before I let you go on, Rick, I remember that time. I mean, I I know some people still use Groupon. I never really did. I even remember Amazon had its competitor. I mean, that was the day and time for
2: Groupon. Now I know they're still around. I mean, Rick, did you did you use Groupon? I I did. To me it was a great way, especially Locally, it was okay, but I liked it when I was traveling places, like stuff that the, the tourist traps that I was going to find wind up falling into anyway. I could get it for like you know fifty cents on the dollar, uh, and the poor merchant would only get like twenty five cents on the dollar because Groupon took a big chunk out of it. But yeah, everyone, Amazon, they bought Living Social, so they got into this game. Yeah, everybody was in this game back then, and he saw it. Uh, so so Kim saw this and said, "Hey, I want in on this. Um, this is a good idea. It's going to work in in the town where I was born in South Korea." Um, so. We sort of know how things played out for Groupon. The fact that you have never been a Groupon customer, and I can just reflect fondly on some of p- purchases in the past. Uh, I think maybe I got a bubble tea coupon uh, about six months ago that seemed right, uh, and it expired worthless because that's Groupon. Um, it, it's still, it, so it, it, you know it's still around and it's still offering these local experiences, but Groupon operating and peaked in 2012 and revenue maxed out two years later. So Coupang is running a similar business in South Korea, and it's doing okay. But again, Kim's a smart chap. Uh, he went to Harvard. Remember, for four and a half years, uh, he sees what's happening with the hyper hyper local flash sale model in the U.S. And he pivots. Uh, instead, he keep instead of going to, to just being another following the path of Coupang, he decides to become an online retailer uh, in South Korea. He instead of following at Groupon, he's now following Amazon. So it's a big pivot uh, for the entire business model. You were mentioning Amazon having interest in this market. Now it's a company that had that interest pivoting to Amazon's market. Uh, just a full-blown retailer now does he change the company's name to camazon no no the brand has power and group on ip lawyers were probably working somewhere else at this point so he can do whatever he wants so he's armed with the financing connections in the u.s and he realizes that scalability is everything he starts to build out this network and he builds out more than 100 logistics centers so these are like fulfillment centers placing it within 70 percent of the country within a seven-mile drive of its growing fleet of drivers. So Coupang now isn't just the Amazon of South Korea. It's actually better. It delivers 99.6% of its orders within 24 hours. You place an order by midnight, and it's at your door by 7 a.m. They call it dawn delivery. You need to return something. You leave it on your porch, and Coupang will pick it up the next morning. So Coupang is growing. They're not public yet. They've raised a lot of money, and that moment finally happens two years ago. Coupang goes public in March of 2021 at $35 Mm. a share. And this is obviously a big moment. The stock pops. It it trades at almost 70, so it nearly doubles on its first day of trading. But it did not last. After a few months, it becomes a broken IPO, which is when it falls below its IPO price. And that's where it's been for the last year uh, and like four months. It's now in the high teens, half of its IPO price. But despite despite the fact that the stock has been cut in half, it has 18 million active customers. And roughly half, that's roughly half of the South Korean online shopping customers a third of South Korea is an active coupon customer, and many of the other two thirds are living with a coupon customer. Uh, the silver lining here is that the stock is starting to bounce back. Uh, it was in the high single digits in May, so here we are, um, eight months later, and uh, um, we're now in, in the high teens. So it's practically yeah. doubled. So, so the stock is bouncing back. Revenue strong, fifty-five percent up in 2019, ninety-one percent in 2021, normalizing to twenty to fifty-four percent in 2021. And the top-line growth has slowed now in 2022. We've gotten through three quarters that we've heard of. Uh, The last quarter was just 10% revenue growth, but in local currencies, 27% growth. It's still It posted its its most profitable quarter in its history in that quarter, so at least there's a silver lining to that. So yes, David, it's okay to drop out of Harvard and seemingly fail out of the gate. But the cool thing here, um, and I guess the moral of the story getting to there, is that everyone knows that... Kim is a smart guy. Uh, The MIT Technology Review and Forbes Magazine, they've ranked Coupang as one of the 50 smartest companies in the world. And there are only nine other companies that are are in both lists. So Coupang is in good company. But I guess the moral of the story here is that if at first you don't succeed, copy a better business model. (laughs) Well said, Rick. And for a lot of us who may
0: be hearing about Coupang for the first time, market caps $30 billion. We're not talking about a fly-by-night operation. And um, Kim roughly owns how much of that of the company? Rick, he
2: he's a he's a majority stakeholder. I don't know the exact amount, but again, it's a, it's a large market cap, but revenue is like north of twenty billion. So this is a company; it's not a small company trading at at a ridiculous revenue multiple. Right. It is a very large established company.
0: Well, and it looks like they're not presently profitable, which might in some ways explain why the stock has been uh, beaten up. Some uh, so-called broken IPO, as you mentioned, but now over eighteen, more than double where it was eight months ago, worth paying attention. Rick, is this a stock you own?
2: I do own it. I do own Coupang. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a stock that I think, again, yeah, it's, just, it's barely profitable now. Uh, margins are improving. Uh, I don't think it's fully out of the woods yet. It will continue to have red ink as the quarters go around. But I do think that once the income comes around and you're seeing the margins improve more than the sales growth, now that that is the fashionable look that best invest, growth investors look for, I think it's going to have a very, uh, you know, very uplifting 2023. Uh, it clearly has momentum right now.
0: So if at first you don't succeed, Rick, try try a, a different business model. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, on to stock story number two. Now, as we hit the second stock story, it's time for an additional sound effect that you'll hear masterfully threaded into the initial sound effect. So now we have... You can hear it, right? We have two sound effects celebrating stock story number two. And for it, I'd like to welcome back my friend, Ori Hughes. Ori, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year, David.
0: Happy New Year. And the market's going up this year, right, Ori? Oh, yeah. We hope so. That's good. Okay. Well, I know one thing for sure, whether or not the market does go up. You have a story for us. And what is the company you'll be featuring in your story? The company I'll be featuring
3: is called Expel. And the
0: ticker symbol? X-P-E-L. Oh my gosh, it spells expel, kind of. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Excellent. And more importantly, as we get started here, Ori, what is the title of your stock story? The title is
3: Discover My Biggest Winning Stock. Excellent. Discover My Biggest Winning
0: Stock. Ori, take it away.
3: Okay, so once upon a time, this was three to four years ago. I had just started as a young analyst at the Motley Fool, and I was in the midst of our investor development program, and I was researching a tiny stock called Expel. It was a micro cap company um and I was like kind of voraciously reading about this company and you know finding whatever information I could, and what they do is they create. Paint protection film for cars, which is a clear wrap that goes over the car uh, that you cannot tell. It's uh, pretty much invisible, and it guards the car against scratches, debris, and the elements and things that happen just as you kind of naturally drive. And the business has also ventured into other glass protection Businesses, so uh, I brought this stock to another fool. I pitched it and I told them how I liked it and explained the stock's potential. And I was hoping to get some feedback. And the fool, uh, they respectfully disagreed and didn't see the potential in the business. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you want to name that
0: person, or are we going no, no, to no, pre- protect that person's identity?
3: We're going to protect that person's <laughs> identity. Before uh, you
0: go on, Ori, how did you even hear about this company? Like, how did you find this? Um,
3: just just reading on the internet blogs uh you know f- screens uh kind of venturing yeah. in that small cap world is how i discovered it and uh you know it was tough uh feedback as this person is really smart and respected and you know it's not my it, brother tom is it <laughs> no 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 it's not and and that's not a knock on this person but i i've illustrate this story to just teach you about <laughs> the lessons of investing um we can all disagree uh smart people can disagree uh we but ultimately we want to think clearly and take educated guesses uh so i did my research i bought the stock at 6 dollars a share um and to you know and i held on it was a small listing on the canadian stock exchange uh so they were a little undiscovered at the time and you know as time went on they kind of got a little bit bigger the sales grew um they moved over to a larger exchange which, which i think they're listed on the nasdaq which kind of helps with discovery um, and you know, I just kind of went about my job and was doing research and still in this learning process and getting to know David and Tom. And then finally, I I checked the stock uh years uh not years later, about three uh, about three to four years later. That's years later, that counts. Yeah, yeah. And the and the stock was at sixty-six dollars a share. So um it was a 10x in 3 years which which isn't bad uh, I think that's pretty rare wow but um you know I was re- I was really excited about the returns and kind of the story um, and then I didn't get in early enough, but if you know if you got in early enough, the stock was actually a hundred bagger for, for some folks, uh, especially the CEO Ryan Pape, uh, who took over when the market
0: cap was 10 million and it's almost at 2 billion today. Oh my golly, this is just over the last few year's Ori. I don't. This is not a company that I know, but I do see now looking at this stock chart, it was, yeah, three years ago, yeah, we're talking about the start of twenty twenty. Feels like a long time ago, but it was right around ten, and I see today, as you mentioned, it's sixty six dollars a share. Uh cresting over a hundred briefly last year. Ori, is it still is the company still in the same business as it started out when you first researched it?
3: yes it, it still is in the same business they're they're still doing these kind of paint protection for cars um so this kind of glass and and that type of specialty they also do tent um and now they're they also have expanded to kind of buildings so if your building has like a commercial building has big windows kind of covering it or tenting it or doing other operations to kind of prevent too much sun exposure and and that's kind of where they specialize so they've kind of expanded. In that business as well they have they have great management, so I think it's one uh with their track record we'll We'll ideally see where they can keep going and My biggest lesson was, I don't want to discredit anyone; this isn't to attack my fellow fools, but do your homework, and sometimes people may disagree with you, but you know have your own convictions and do your research. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to be contrarian and see things that the larger audience may not see. And, and there lies some of the biggest victories, especially in the stock
0: market. such a powerful lesson. The earlier we can get that, the better. It's, it's always going to be a little bit ambiguous, right? Because we all probably also have stories where we shared it with somebody and they're like, I don't like it. And they might have been right. <laughs> so it's an yeah. interesting question. When do we know? Or when can we have slightly more confidence that that wise person that we might report to who doesn't think we have a good idea that we actually might be right versus when we're not? Have you had a sense any time through these few years of a moment of growing conviction or a catalyst or trigger or an earnings report? When did your confidence continue to build?
3: I think when uh, I think my confidence continues to build when i start to see a track record when the you know the business is executing and i think you know without getting into detailed financials it's simple we like to see growth and cash flow and you start to see that track record like a straight a student uh, as i call the kind of these managers and then um and you're like wow this is this product is building traction and um so I didn't get obviously I didn't get it at 10 million but yeah but, but,
0: I don't think I'd want to buy a stock that had a market cap yeah. of 10 million
3: of course but you know w- with those type of with that potential when when you're able to recognize that leadership I think um you have pl- ample time to buy a stock with with uh, tremendous runways like that
0: That's great you know I don't know if you uh, paid attention to CES at all the consumer electronics show but BMW was showing off it's concept car for the second year in a row, which can change colors. Oh wow, that's incredible. looks like <laughs> something that Xpel <laughs> might want to partner on or, or, <laughs> yeah, or take a yeah. look at. I think last year at CES, BMW showed off kind of a, a it could go black, white, or gray. This year they showed off something like thirty six colors. So fast forward, looking back, our kids kids might say, "Wait, mom and dad, you." You had to stick with a single color when you bought a car. It always had to be blue. So it's it's uh, the Rule Breaker mentality has us always searching for new possibilities. That's obviously what happened here, Ori. That's why I like to have you back on Rule Breaker Investing. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for allowing me to share my story. All right, now on to stock story number three. And it's time for a third sound effect begin to enrich our surroundings, threading in with what you already know. There's a sense there's a real milieu. There's a sense that we're transported to a new place together. And I really don't think it's anything I'm doing. I think it's what Rick's doing with these amazing sound effects. All right. And for story number three, I'd like to welcome in my friend, Alice Lomax. Alice, welcome to Rule Breaker Investing. Thank you
1: for having me, David.
0: How's your new year been? I'm not saying happy new year because it might be a little tired at this point. So I'm just going to say, how has your new year been so far, Alice?
1: Well, my new year has been so far so good.
0: Has there been a moment where you said, it's completely different now from last year?
1: No. <laughs> not
0: quite. It has gone up a little bit. That could be. That could be a thing that's different from last year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs>
0: where were you for the holidays? Uh, Where were you physically located on, I don't know, December 27th?
1: I was right here in Alexandria, Virginia. Beautiful. Just having a really nice mellow time. What about you? Did you do anything exciting? Well,
0: I was in Barcelona on the, actually I was flying to Barcelona and it was a wonderful six day trip. It's hard to adjust your hours, six hours for your, your body in just six days and then come back after just six days. So I think I'm still trying to catch up on my hours. It was lovely, though. Thank you for asking, Alice. Now, you have brought a stock to stock story number three. What is your
1: stock? My stock is Microsoft. I've heard of that one. I think I
0: even know the ticker symbol, but I'm going to let you say it, Alice. MSFT. <laughs> Excellent. And that's what it's been pretty much since this company came public. I think somewhere around is the night, late 80s, something like that. Anyway, Alice, what is the title of your Microsoft stock story?
1: It is better late than never.
0: Excellent. Better late than never by Alice Lomax. Take it away. Once upon a time.
1: I am going to age myself by saying that, you know, my knowledge of Microsoft goes way back as both a consumer as and an investor. I have been a lifelong Apple computer user. Um, used that in the 90s when Apple was still wow. quite underdog, <laughs> indeed. And you know, it's funny to look back on that era because Microsoft, you know, Bill Gates was always not always known as, you know, a benevolent technologist and philanthropist, but he, in fact started a very successful personal computing and software company that if you go, if you rewind the tape long enough, it was questionable whether there would ever be PCs in everyone's home, not to mention a computer in the palm of your hand. At any rate, super successful. Obviously, Apple Macintosh computers were the underdogs. But in the late 90s, the government actually went after Microsoft for antitrust issues. And this is, you know, as a consumer, this is where I started to get a little bit of a distaste for Microsoft and, you know, how it was being shown as being this, you know, 500-pound gorilla and, you know, Difficult on little guys like Netscape Navigator was a browser that that. made life difficult for them. But Alice, you
0: were you were a Mac person anyway, right? So were you ever were you ever pro Microsoft? I mean, were scales falling from your eyes or had you ever shown any love at all for Windows?
1: I had never shown any love at all, really, other than I did like Microsoft Word. That was a very good piece of, you know, productivity software. As a writer, I used it extensively. Yeah. But, but seriously, as a consumer, I had, you know, a pretty a pretty bad feeling about that company in terms of how it came across to the public. Um, you know, its reputation wasn't great. And, you know, again, I don't want to denigrate, you know, that the... the Bill Gates obviously was one of the OG technologists, like I said, that brought us to where we are today.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, Microsoft Office Suite was a powerful suite of software initially because that idea that you could share from your spreadsheet over to your word processing program, that was pretty revolutionary that you could actually use the same kind of interface and menus for a database um, application as well as your word processing. Most of us, I think, we're just using Microsoft Word. I was with you there, too, Alice. But I, I still remember and appreciate the early days of Microsoft for the standardization yeah. that Microsoft brought across multiple different types of apps and ultimately the integration. I, I will say, I did make the jump over to Apple, but I was way behind you in 2008. And for me, it was at my daughter's behest. She was a young teenager going, "Dad, I want an iPhone." I was like. Well, we don't have that. We're a Windows family. And one yeah. thing led to another and all of a sudden we had MacBooks and phones and all the rest. And I, I don't think I've ever looked back 15 years later. But wow, Alice, talk about the OG. You were the OG with your Mac back in the 90s.
1: Yes, I was indeed. I was also one of the OG people who had an iMac when those came out, when they were yeah. big, the big, heavy computers with the cute colors. I remember there the was- ads. Yeah, and I, I remember being teased for for having a toy instead of an actual, you know, computer. And, you know, it's interesting after all of that stuff that went on with the antitrust situation, and then Steve Ballmer started as CEO of Microsoft in 2000. He was there until 2013, and that was another interesting phase. You know, this is while I was, you know, I started at The Fool in 2003, so I'm starting to think of Microsoft as a stock. And that was an interesting era because um, Mr. Ballmer arguably missed some major opportunities during that time, you know, underestimated the iPhone and the iPad, you know, tried to sort of maybe copy a few things like, you know, coming out with the Zoom music player, which mm. was not able to to dislodge the iPod. Um, and I, I just saw a a New Yorker quote from when he resigned that said that his reign had done more to defang Microsoft than the Justice Department could have ever hoped to do. Wow! So at that time, I was just like, forget it. I will never, ever invest in Microsoft. And then Satya Nadella came on board. And let me say, um, according to my quick research I did, the stock was priced at $36 at that time. And fast forward to today, and it is it is at two hundred and twenty eight dollars per share. Now, when he came to the home, I have to tell you, I was like, Good luck, guy, you know, this is I good think most be- of
0: us were, Alice. I mean right? he was relatively unknown.
1: Yeah, relatively unknown. Stock
0: had gone sideways, as you point out, for more than a decade. Yes. Kind of the day Balmer took over to the day he retired. And as I recall, when he announced his retirement, the stock zoomed up that day and he made like a billion dollars on the announcement of his own retirement. Highly ironic. But yeah, we had watched that stock for more than a decade go sideways, one of America's greatest and biggest companies.
1: Yeah. and it looked to me like dead wood, you know, and I admit it now that it was in my personal discard pile. I did not have high hopes. You know, I don't think I was thinking it was going to go out of business, but I wasn't thinking it was going to go on to do great things. And fast forward to today, and it has been just such an amazing turnaround under, under Nadella. You know, we not only have office, We also have SharePoint, Microsoft Teams, Skype, LinkedIn, Xbox, all of that under that Microsoft umbrella. And around 2019, I remember looking into the company and being like, oh, my God, I missed a huge business and cultural shift that happened under this CEO. And. Um, I like to look at the ESG lens. I feel like they do great things in sustainability and that sort of area, things that are very, very innovative. And then I also have to admit, that over the years I've appeared, you know, occasionally on on Motley Fool Live or or on a podcast and been like, I really admire this company and I haven't bought it yet. And um, (laughs) (laughs) I am happy to say that I did actually purchase some Microsoft shares last year. And even though that so far has not been a winner for me, I still feel very good about the idea that they have the type of balance sheet where they can continue to pursue interesting things. You know, we heard today that they may be investing in OpenAI, uh, the, the chat GBT.
0: Yeah, I- integrating Bing with Open. Uh, did I see that recently or this past week?
1: Yeah, interesting stuff going on. So I think that my, my real takeaway is that I recognize that I stubbornly refuse to see a cultural and business mm. shift happening and I also would like to say I don't believe it is ever too late to go ahead and change your mind take a stock out of the discard pile and consider it you know if it's and I also want to include the caveat that some companies do rest on their laurels and never actually sure. break out of such a cycle but it's so important to be able to question you know, I, you know, my, the beginning of this, I was sounding so negative and cranky, right. But to be able to just go, wait a minute, I think I, I think I might've had this pegged wrong.
0: <laughs> and I think that's, that's the big takeaway. And a lot of us, um, I hope will will if we haven't already will come to learn that I can, I've experienced that as well. I remember back in the day, when there were gra- computer graphics cards, were a bigger kind of hot emergent market for video games, and the big two big competitors were 3Dfx and NVIDIA. And I favored the former and thought the latter was our big evil rival. And 3Dfx kind of disappeared, and NVIDIA has become one of the great companies over the last thirty years in, in American business. And I'm happy to say, I eventually, it, it was like you know what, can't beat him, join them. recommended NVIDIA. It's been a a wonderful winner. So I think it's really important to remain fairly agnostic. I mean, unless you feel, and I know this is particularly important to you and to me, Alice, unless you feel that the company that you're invested in is not right for the world, is not Mm -hmm. creating a better future. That's when I would sell any stock, but many times it's it's neutral to, to positive, but for whatever reason, it's on our discard pile, as you just said, Alice Lomax. So I think a lot of us can relate. Microsoft's a good example. I've still never owned it myself, and I, I so admire the company, and I'm, I'm grateful for my Xbox and all the rest. So, well, Alice, thank you for sharing a lesson from your own experience, and I love that you were Apple OG. Have you ever owned Apple stock? I do. I own Excellent. Both. Good. I'm glad to know that. That's been a good one to have over yeah. the years. Well, Alice, thank you for sharing stock story number three this week, and foolish best wishes for your new year.
1: Thank you. You too.
0: Full on. All right. Well, a motley array of companies thus far, Coupang and then Expel and then Microsoft. Next up, well, we're going to hear from Jim Mueller. Jim, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks,
4: David. Glad to be here.
0: How's your new year been? Have you visited your latest Major League Baseball Park? Wait, that's not the seat. We're not in season right now, Jim. No, we're not in season. (laughs) But that's something that you've been purposing, right? To get to every one of the Major League Baseball parks in America.
4: Yep. I'm up to 33, I believe. I think I have seven left.
0: Seven left. Do you know your next one, and do you have a date circled on the summer calendar?
4: Not yet, but it's probably going to be uh, down in Tampa, the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, I believe is the team. Yeah. So uh, that's the other Florida team I have to go down to, and I might try to hit <laughs> uh, the Atlanta Braves also on the East Coast.
0: That sounds like a good trip and uh, something ahead in your new year. Well, happy new year, Jim. Great to have you back on Rule Breaker Investing. What is the stock that you have today for us?
4: We're going to, well, I'm going to talk Redfin, which is ticker RDFN on the NASDAQ.
0: Redfin. Now, I'm not asking Rick Engdahl, my producer, specifically to theme with our fourth sound effect threaded in to this campfire setting that Rick has really created for us through audio. I'm not going to ask him to pick something that would thematically fit with Redfin because it's really not clear, even though I know Redfin's about selling homes, digital online platform for buying and selling homes. I don't know how that would play into a sound effect, but maybe Rick can somehow make sense of that. And now as we settle in, Around the Campfire, Jim Mueller. What is the title of stock story
4: number four? Well, this story is called Changing the World is Hard.
0: Excellent. Changing the World is Hard by Jim Mueller. Take it away.
4: (laughs) Once upon a time, da-da-da-da, there was a a company that had a new way to sell homes, not by agents visiting you and taking you around to visit various homes, but online, you had... uh, meet up with an agent online, you'd have a virtual tour online. And because of this, they'd be able to, they offered lower fees for buyers and sellers and they were doing pretty well. They would, at one point, they would even buy your home from you at, at your, at your price, fix and update things and then resell making a profit a business called iBuying, And they were not the only ones doing that. Uh, Zillow was doing that as well. And there were a couple of others still doing it. It was capturing market share, handling more and more of the sales in in the country. In 2015, it handled 0.44% of all sales in the U.S. May not sound a lot, but that's a lot of homes selling.
0: Especially for a company, Jim, that was founded in 2004, just, I don't know, a decade or so earlier, to have one half of 1% of the whole market. Not bad. By the way, I do notice, now that I'm on their Wikipedia page briefly, this is a Seattle, Washington-based company. Jim, I think of you as a Pacific Northwest man yourself.
4: Yep, definitely I was uh, raised there. Even though I was born on the east coast, I uh, consider the west coast my home. Uh by 2017, the share had climbed up to just about uh 2 thirds of a percentage point and they came public that year at about $27 per share. And they kept on slowly increasing the shares, uh the 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 market share and the, and uh getting better at selling things online and then as happened to so many companies, the pandemic hit, and at first it was bad. At the beginning of 2020, shares were down a bit to about $21. But the lockdown, where everything froze and house sales slowed way down, they laid off, as a result, they laid off a bunch of their agents, thinking that's going to be the way it's going to uh, play out for a while. And the share price dropped all the way down to 10 bucks.
0: Yeah, a brutal kind of summer of 2020 when we're trying to figure out in a locked down world what it even means to buy a
4: new house. Well, they figured it out pretty quickly. They they were kind of caught by surprise because work from home started growing and people moved to the suburbs in record numbers. And they had, had to hire a whole bunch of those agents back and things were turning around uh, that summer in 2020. The market share had climbed, their market share climbed up to a solid 1%, and shares had uh, risen from a low of $10 in that uh, uh, COVID uh, drop in March of 2020 yeah. to, uh, to $42 by the end of June. So a quadruple in, what, three months, <laughs> three and a half months. And by the end of the 2020, shares had doubled again, almost doubled again to $78 by the end of December.
0: Which is amazing to think back on it. I do want to mention this is an this has been an active rule breaker pick over the years. I picked it. I'm going to put myself out there, Jim. It was nineteen dollars and ninety seven cents, summer of two thousand nineteen. So I was feeling pretty good as the stock crested. As you mentioned, it got up to as high as about ninety in February twenty
4: twenty one. Yep. Uh, one more point in December twenty twenty. Uh countrywide i mean across the us there's the the most existing homes that were sold since the great depression huge booming business in 2020 mm. meanwhile in the background they announced the purchase and closed on a company out of bankruptcy called rentpath they handle online rentals and pairing up landlords with uh, with uh, potential uh, uh, renters And they pointed a new CEO and tried to get that business off the ground again. And they did that because cross-selling and getting people places to live, that kind of really uh, wasn't like an adjacent business for them. They deal with homes, getting people places to live, and now they're dealing with rentals, getting people with places to live. 2021, though, the cracks started showing. The the stock peaked about $92 in early February. RentPath was generating losses. It was bankrupt after all iBuying was abandoned by Zillow, but Redfin continued because they thought they had better discipline, but that started uh, getting into trouble. And wow. the stock started to fall. End of June, $63 down 30%. Redfin announced the purchase of Bay Equity, which is a mortgage broker out of the San Francisco area, and abandoned its own in-house efforts. And that turned out to be a good good deal. I'll come back to that in a moment. So by the end of 2021, as losses mounted and home home sales started slowing down, shares had fallen to $38, more than, less than half of what they were earlier in February mm. that year. 2022, we all know what the story was there, inflation and higher mortgage rates and sky-high uh, housing prices because those kept on climbing. And existing home sales really started to decline, especially with the price is still high and the mortgage rates climbing. End of June again. A year later, when they were uh, a year after they were at sixty three, yeah. Now they're at eight dollars and a quarter.
0: Eight dollars, yeah. My initial recommendation around twenty, and cut in half at that point. Twenty twenty two, Jim, a perfect storm for a business like Redfin, especially an emergence, younger business with not as powerful a balance sheet up against a lot of competition. Um, I hate to say it, no spoiler here, and I don't know what your lesson takeaway is going to be for us, but. Um, it's it's down further from where it was well, it bottomed, summer of last year.
4: Yeah, it bombed and bottomed out at the end of 2022 at $3.78 a share.
0: Astonishing. Down,
4: down another 50% <laughs> <laughs> uh, from from June of 2022 uh, to the end. And down another 50%. It can always drop further, folks. Uh, they announced they're getting out of iBuying completely, uh, but they had a couple of good points at the end of the year. The rent business uh, was had, had basically turned around. They're expecting uh, revenue growth year over year for Q4 of 2022, which they'll report in February, just next month. Mm. And the, that mortgage business, Bay Equity, is helping make Redfin sticky for its customers. In its own in-house built mortgage business, the all-time high of only uh, of, of customers selling of buying through Redfin, eight percent went with Redfin mortgages. Okay. Now 15% are going with, with Redfin Mortgages because Bay Equity uh was a much better business. And I like that because it shows that if they're willing to they're willing to try something and if it's not working and there's a better solution they'll they'll abandon what they tried. And write off the loss and buy something that'll do better for them in the future.
0: So I'm hearing a little bit more optimism from you, Jim. Are you a shareholder of Redfin?
4: I'm a shareholder, and it's also a recommendation in the option service I uh, I run. Okay, shares are now up from the lows of 378, about 515, and we'll just see how it goes from here.
0: You know, one fun fact about Redfin I noticed, Jim, is they have about 100 million shares outstanding. So When you know their share price, you can fairly quickly say what their market cap is. Uh, Their share price around five and a half means their market cap is around $550 million, which is really in micro cap territory for a business that, wow, a year ago was was it
4: 90 or so, down to five. Yeah, it's down well over 90 percent, but... I don't think the story's over the c e o uh has been with the company since the start he's the co founder co-founder, and he's been through the- uh, other housing crashes he he got he took the company through the uh great housing crash of the two thousand seven eight uh time period yeah, and I think he'll manage to get through this one i think he's i know he's really focused on the business i think they've lined things up so that they're once they get through and once mortgage prices stabilize and housing prices stabilize, they'll be able to start growing again.
0: All right. Well, Jim, the story for this stock is, of course, not over. We hope not nearly, but your story is, is just about over. What's, the, what's a didactic takeaway that, having just heard the ups and the downs 19 years later for this business, founded not so far from where you grew up uh, and yet at a fraction of where it was just a year and a half ago, what's the, what's the takeaway?
4: I think the company's on the right path in moving things online. Software will take over the world eventually, but it's rocky and there's a lot of outside forces that can affect how a company uh, does as, as a stock. I think the company is doing well as a company, but as a stock, not so much, but eventually I think the two will line up again.
0: Well, a lot of rule breaker members and members of your options service have their fingers crossed here. It has been brutal last year. After all, you did entitle stock story number four changing the world is hard. And it has been. But, you know, I think a lot of us cheer on those online players who are disrupting in some senses or trying to improve the experience of transactions across many different types of industries, Uh, the real estate industry, no exception. Um, So, Fingers crossed. Jim, thanks so much for joining us again on Rule Breaker Investing.
4: My pleasure, David. Thank you.
0: All right. And on to stock story number five. And oh, my gosh, you and me, you, dear listener, and I, we're the only ones still at the campfire. And yet we're joined by one final ambient sound that brings it all together here for stock story number five. Thanks, Rick Engdahl. Well, the company that I'd like to present for stock story number five is Boston Beer. The ticker symbol is SAM Sam. You know, as in Sam Adams. And the title, and if you go back over this series history, you'll see that I always invent the lamest titles. Is listen to and learn from our market cap game shows. Once upon a time. It was May of 2010. And I was casting about for what stock to pick for May for my Motley Fool Stock Advisor members. I had been picking stocks for Motley Fool Stock Advisor from inception, which was March of 2002. So here we were in my ninth year or so. It's May The month of my birthday, maybe I'm a little bit distracted and I don't have a great idea. And even though I had pretty much used all of my own ideas exclusively for those first eight years or so and would continue to do so almost exclusively right through into 2021 when I stepped away from picking stocks for Stock Advisor, over those 19 or so years, one or two or three of the selections came from someone else, a friend of mine, an analyst, maybe right across. One or two desks down for me at Full HQ. And this particular month, May of 2010, it was Matt Argersinger. And Matt, who knows beer a lot better than I, who grew up in the Boston area, went to Brandeis University, a Patriots fan from the start, certainly a fan of Sam Adams. And Matt said, Have you thought about Boston beer? Ticker symbol. Sam and I was certainly somewhat familiar with the brand and the story, Jim Cook, the founder, the charismatic founder of Boston Beer, uh somebody that I'd not gotten to know personally but observed and admired from afar, and so I thought, okay, yeah, that'll be our pick. Boston Beer stock was at $61 a share that month, May of 2010. And fast forward 5 years later, 2015, the stock crosses for the first time over $300 a share. So we're sitting now in a five-bagger after five years feeling pretty great, and yet there were some war drums beating from the competition. Those of you who know beer a lot better than I, especially craft beer, may be able to appreciate a big line some years ago. It's it's still out there today. Is wow, there are a lot of craft beers, aren't there? Uh, how many more craft beers do we need? And is Sam Adams getting crowded out? And of course, Boston Beer has always had many brands besides just its signature brand, Sam Adams, but a lot of doubt about whether there's enough shelf space for all of those craft beers out there. The stock would decline. Uh, It would get cut in half over the next couple of years. So By the summer of 2017, it had gone from $300 a share to $150. Then came the first appearance of the stock on the Market Cap Game Show of Rule Breaker Investing. We just did one a few weeks ago. I know we've got some Market Cap Game Show long-term fans out there listening to me right now. You may remember that Matt Argusinger was the original player. I would just play the game with him, not even against him. He was my one contestant, and the goal of the first iterations of the Market Cap Game Show was that Matt, as the player, had to guess within 20% either way of the stock's actual market cap. And you, as my player at home, Could agree with Matt or disagree with him, but that's how we played the game. It was just one person trying to call somewhere near the actual market cap. And I've recorded it here. I brought that stock out twice in 2018. Both times Matt overestimated the market cap of the company. He didn't do poorly. The first time, Sam's market cap was 2.1 billion. Matt said 2.5. Six months later, September of 2018 the stock's market cap had grown to 3.7 billion just 6 months later Matt said 4.5 billion and one of the old saws one of the lessons I've always returned to when it comes to listening to and learning from our market cap game shows is when you tend to guess high for a given company and it turns out the market cap is much lower i've often said isn't that a pretty bullish sign after all you thought it was much bigger than it actually is And so, why wouldn't you add that stock to your watch list? Consider purchasing shares. The stock around $300 a share, as Matt overestimated, not by much. Matt was really good at the game, the market cap. Well, by 2019, it had gone from 300 to 400. And at its peak during COVID in March of 2021, when a lot of other stocks peaked too, about two years ago, Sam had risen. From 300, where Matt misguessed it that day in 2018 with its market cap, it had gone from 300 to $1,300 a share. A spectacular winner. Now, I wish we had sold then. I wish the market stock were going to be closed down a couple of years and hadn't traded since then. But unfortunately, we've watched the stock lose a lot of value over the last couple of years. As I move toward my didactic lesson, I'd like to point out that. Sam went strong into hard seltzer, its brand truly, certainly a category leader in the hard seltzer market. Hard seltzer became a big growth area for not just Boston Beer, but this whole industry. But through 2021 and into 2022, kind of a hard seltzer crash. Everybody also brought out their hard seltzers. You may have noticed the ads out there. And all of a sudden, Sam wasn't selling as much truly as it thought. And so Boston Beer watched its inventory of unpurchased hard seltzer grow, and the costs of carrying that inventory in 2022 pretty much wiped out the company's profits in the near term. And all of a sudden, the stock dropped from $1,300 a share at its peak to where it sits today as we speak, second week of January 2023, at around $330 a share, about five years after it had been at $300 when Matt made his market cap game show calls. So two quick takeaways from this one. The first is that take it all in all, for truly foolish long-term investors, truly a little bit of a pun on the hard seltzer brand, truly it has been a winning stock. From May 21st of 2010 ticker symbol SAM, Boston Beer, has risen 450% for investors. The market over that time, 250%, so almost twice the market's overall return. You've gone through a lot of volatility to get there, but more important, the stock has returned to levels now that have been attractive in the past, when a lot of us thought, hey, the market cap must be higher for that company. Well, I'll give you a quick quiz here at the end of this week's podcast, dear listener asking you, can you guess within 20% of Boston Beer's market cap today? I'll give you five to 10 seconds to think about your answer. What do you think Boston Beer's market cap is today? Got your answer? Okay, great. It's now $3.9 billion, which is a pretty small market cap for a pretty big company. When you consider where its stock price has been recently and how far down it is, might be worth adding to your watch list, but it's still worth pointing out as far down as it is, it's still been a spectacular winner over more than the last decade. So there's how I want to close out stock story number five. Listen to and learn from our market cap game shows. And in particular, pro tip, pay attention to stocks where you thought the market cap was much bigger than it actually is. Well, I hope you enjoyed this edition of Stock Stories, Volume 7. If you did, there are six others you can listen to for didactic lessons in other companies from the past, including some of the same voices you heard this week telling other stories. I'm thinking about Matt Argusinger, who told a story about Twitter back in the day, or Emily Flippin last time on SwitchFix, Tim Byers on MongoDB. Just a few of many examples of lessons to be learned Illustrated by stories, stock stories. Also, I sure did enjoy our expensively post produced campfire, setting just the right tone, making our stories that much more memorable. To close, you know, the reason that you and I even could read the Odyssey and the Iliad when we went through school is because there is an oral tradition that handed down those stories over centuries, which means great stories need to be memorable. I hope at least one of these was memorable for you this go-round. To celebrate them, I'll just conclude with the titles to remind you of what you've heard this week. Rick Munara is telling you dropped out of Harvard for this, Coupang. Ori Hughes, discover my biggest winning stock, XPEL. Alice Lomax, better late than never, speaking of Microsoft. Jim Mueller, changing the world is hard. Redfin. And I closed it out. Do I have to give my title one more time? Fine. Listen to and learn from our market cap game shows talking about Boston beer. That's Rule Breaker Investing for you this week. Next week, a review of Palooza. Looking forward to five stocks rolled up at random and five stocks that spark joy, which will enter full for good or for ill, we shall see. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. Fool on.
1: As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.